Sir Richard Branson, when I spoke to him, said he doesn't go out to aim to make a lot of money. What he does is he notices where there are holes in the marketplace, like he wasn't treated well by BA Airlines, and so he started his own airline. And whenever he notices there's something that doesn't work and he would love to fill that hole in the universe, he just goes out and does it. You're listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. Good morning. This is Nikki Ballou, and I'm here with my great co-host, Michael Palmer, on this inaugural edition of the Business of Thought Leadership podcast. And boy, have we got a real treat for you today. We've got as our guest thought leader, one of my earliest and greatest mentors. I'm speaking about the one, the only, the legendary Raymond Aaron. Raymond Aaron is one of the pioneers in this whole business of thought leadership. He was one of the first people to bring thought leadership to the area of real estate investment education, and he absolutely pioneered and exploded that industry. He's moved on to mentoring and tons of other things. He's been one of the greatest thought leaders out there. It's because of his mentoring and his thought leadership that the idea of this podcast was born. And you are going to learn a ton from Raymond because he's one of the best. Raymond, are you available on the line right now? I am, and I'm honored to be on the line, and I'm honored to be your first choice for your first podcast. Awesome. And and uh, just want to say, Raymond, thank you so much for being here. It's uh, It's an honor to have you on. Thank you. It truly, truly is, especially for me. It's a real treat. So, Raymond, the purpose of this podcast is really to help thought leaders in our community become more adept at the business of thought leadership. There's a lot of thought leaders out there who have great expertise, who really know their stuff. But when it comes to the business of what they're doing, their thought leadership is not doing as well as it could be doing. You're someone who's managed to master both. You have excellent thought leadership. You've got wonderful expertise that's made a massive difference for people. And you've also been incredible at the business end of things. The first question I want to ask you is, quite simply, Raymond, what has been your key message? What has been the organizing principle of the message that you've put out there into the marketplace? And how did you come up with it? Well, my message, which is not that important to your listeners because it's just my message. Everyone has a different message. But my message is that you can double your income doing what you love. Most people just want to earn more money. At least most North Americans just want to earn more money, even if they hate it. And so what happens is they earn more money and they hate it. And then they get ulcers and they have divorces and it's just, it's just a lousy life. And so I've noticed that you need two things. You need love and money. And so that's what I teach. And it has branched out to many, many different things. I teach real estate, but even when I teach real estate, I say there's a thousand different branches of real estate. What do you love? Maybe you love the management of real estate, in which case you should manage other people's properties or your own. Or maybe you hate that detailed work, in which case you shouldn't manage your real estate or anyone's. And so I always focus both on the doing of the job and also on the loving of the doing the job or else delegating it. That's amazing. You know what? So many people go out there and they focus on their message and they think there's just one way for them to do this. But what's brilliant about your message is that it's an overarching message. It's a message that can really be applied 
to a whole bunch of different ways of doing things. And that's something that we really preach here, you know, on this podcast on the business of thought leadership. Yeah, Raymond. And I really like what you're saying about loving what you do. And I think when people strip away all of this other noise and they just focus on themselves and what they love, it just resonates in the marketplace. Yes. And if you look at the the people who've made a great deal of money, Sir Richard Branson, when I spoke to him, said he doesn't go out to aim to make a lot of money. What he does is he notices where there are holes in the marketplace, like he wasn't treated well by VA airlines. And so he started his own airline. And whenever he notices there's something that doesn't work and he would love to fill that hole in the universe, he just goes out and does it. And Donald Trump, you know, regardless of what you think of him, he has a love, a really deep love of building beautiful buildings. And so that's what he does. He could build, uh, let's say, warehouses, but he has no interest in building warehouses. Maybe he could even make more money building old bland warehouses, but he doesn't. Each person does what they love. You take Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett says never, ever lose money. And so he chooses stocks that are so solid. He chooses Coca-Cola. He chooses railroads because railroads have been around for 100 years and they're still going to be around 100 years from now. He chooses those solid, solid stocks that may not be sexy. They may not be Apple or Google, but they are solid. And then when you look at his 37-year track record, he has averaged, this is average, 17% compounded for 37 years. Why? Because he loves the old-fashioned, do it slowly, don't jump onto some crazy trend. That's what he loves. Well, most people don't have that patience. And on the other hand, most people don't get 17% like he does. And so when I look at my mentors, they're the people who absolutely, they love what they do so much. It's just like Mother Teresa, that's not a financial example, but here she is, this wonderful lady who spent her time working in the back streets of Calcutta, having people die in her arms. And she cried because it was so horrible for her to see this poverty and this this high mortality rate. And it was just announced that she's going to become a saint. Well. There's tens of thousands of other nuns around the world, and there's millions of do-gooders around the world, but she loved what she did more than anybody, and it shone right through to her getting a Nobel Peace Prize. So the world can tell, and the world will beat a path to your door when you do what you love. That's absolutely brilliant. That's fantastic. So Raymond, in coming up with this message, at some point, you probably had a good sense of who your target audience for the message would be. Could you tell us in your own words who that target audience is and how did you pick them? Well, I wish that 33 years ago I had the overview that I had now so that I could actually say truthfully that I consciously picked my target audience. But it's not true. I didn't think of that until maybe a decade after I started. And also I want to um, warn both of you that as you interview people in the remainder of your wonderful podcast series, people who are famous make up or reinvent how they started to make it look good. And so I'm- <laughs> That's funny, I'm that's honestly, true. It's true and, they, and they'll say, well, first I decided this and then second I decided that. And it's not true. Most of what happened 
is by chance or by luck or good fortune, or that the people who are going to become wealthy have a certain sense of how to do things, but then they re-engineer it as if they did it on purpose. And so the truth is that I first started teaching real estate and people signed up. Well, I didn't choose the person that I wanted to sign up. They just signed up. It's only after a decade that I noticed who they were. And so I could say it in one word, wannabes. And I don't mean that in any negative sense, because sometimes it's used negatively. But people who want more for themselves are my target audience. They may want more real estate. They may want to make money online. They may want to write a book. They may want to become professional speakers. They may want to get out of debt. But whatever it is, they want more for themselves. And so I advertise in such a way to attract those people. And the two methods that I use are either hope for reward or fear of loss. So hope for reward, let's say in real estate would be, wouldn't it be wonderful if you could buy a property, especially with nothing down and have a double in value? Well, these days properties are worth about a million dollars. If you could get a million dollar property that doubles in a certain number of years, you just became a millionaire. And then fear of loss would be, have you noticed that other people are getting rich and you're not? Have you noticed that time is passing you by? Have you noticed that you don't have the wealth today that you thought you would have by now? Do you want to do you want to do something about it? Or do you just want to kind of sit in your couch and, and watch other people get rich? And so what I do is I give both messages, hope for reward and fear of loss. And one of the two catches them or maybe both. They say, yeah, yeah, I want that. And so they come to my events, they come to my webinars, they come to my courses and they resonate with who I am. And the ones who do join my programs, buy my products, attend my workshops. That's fantastic. That's absolutely fantastic. So one of the other things that I noticed you've done really, really well, Raymond, is you've managed to take your message and leverage it across a variety of uh, different groups. I mean, you don't just have, for example, uh, clients here in Canada. You have clients uh, in the United States. You have clients in Europe. You have clients in Africa. You have clients in Dubai. You've got clients all over the world. And you haven't been someone who has stuck to one particular method of delivering your expertise. So, for example, you haven't just done coaching one-on-one or group coaching. You've actually been a real expert at leveraging multiple modes of delivery. Could you speak a little bit about how you've been such an expert in leveraging your expertise and when this is meant for your success? Nikki, that's a really brilliant question. I've never been asked that question. It's a really, really interesting question. Thank you. And if you think about trying to get clients in many different arenas, clients to a let's say a paid podcast, clients to a membership site, clients to a workshop, clients to a business cruise, clients to workshops in different areas of the world, you realize you'd better not have to put out lots of marketing. Otherwise, the marketing will kill you. The the price will be prohibitive. If I had to do something in Dubai and something in South Africa and something in Singapore, I I couldn't do it. I, I don't have that much expertise. I don't have that much money. I, I can't afford to do all that in all those places, in all those different kinds of products. And so it better be that money comes to me. It better be that clients and prospects come to me, in which case there's much less effort on my part and enormously less marketing costs. And so how do I do it? How do I have 
money coming to me and prospects coming to me? And the answer is branding. And branding is a concept that 97% of small entrepreneurs have never, ever, ever thought of. They, they either don't care, which is not true. They just really don't understand. And so they think that if they sell a certain widget, that if they market it enough, people will buy their widget. Well, you know, they'll will market and some people will buy. But that's not going to get you to the promised land. And so let's think about Coca-Cola. Everyone in the world can picture in their mind the highly italicized name Coca-Cola. Everybody can picture in their mind the three big clunky capital letters of CNN. Everybody can picture in their mind that the color of Robert Kiyosaki is purple. Everyone knows these things. Why? Because big companies have a brand. Nike has a swoosh. And I can say, does, well, Nikki, does, does Nike's swoosh go up to the right or up to the left? Uh, it goes up to the right, actually. And everybody knows that. The Apple, the iconic Apple, which is the symbol of Apple computers, there's a bite out of the Apple. Is it on the right side or the left side? Uh, it's on the right side. Top or bottom? Right in the middle, actually, from what I can see, because I'm staring at the back of uh, an Apple computer right now as we're doing this Depends interview. on which way you're sitting to the computer, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Absolutely. It, you're right. It's a very big bite. So it goes from the middle to the to the upper middle. I just keep. And, I just want to keep taking bites of that Apple too. I mean, that's that's the beautiful thing of a great brand, right? That Apple's almost almost down to the core with me. So the giant corporations have a brand, but the funny thing is, Nikki, if I gave you a Nike swoosh, it wouldn't make you any more money. You would just be a business consultant with a Nike swoosh. Big deal. And so the the concept is that every business person needs to be branded. Unfortunately, the small business person sees how big companies are branded and realizes correctly that it wouldn't work for them. It's not, it's not gonna work. I give you a swoosh, you don't make any more money. But there is a way for small business to be branded and no one does it and no one understands it. Well, at least 3% know and those are the ones who make a lot of money and the 97% are the ones who struggle and so, if you wish to have money coming to you, if you wish to have prospects and clients coming to you, if you wish to have people walking towards you with their credit card, metaphorically at least, in their hand in front of them saying, take my money, and I don't mean it as a joke. Yes, I am actually serious. It's a metaphor, but I'm serious. They come to me wanting to buy. And the answer is I'm branded. I'm branded and the best way to get, well, there's several ways to get branded. One is branding by association. Are you friends with the most famous people in the world? I am. Another is branding by achievement. You have amazing achievements, I actually do. But you know, those are nice, but they're not the killer, the killer branding. The killer branding is writing a book. When you've written a book, people just can't believe it. If I say I wrote double your income doing what you love, they say, oh my God, you must be a great coach. I'd love that. Sign me up. Whereas if I didn't say that I'd written a book on the topic, they'd say, well, what are your credentials? Are you a psychiatrist? What did you graduate in? Let me speak to 10 of your happy clients. Can you give me a discount? Can you give me the first hour for free? But when I tell them I can teach you how to double your income doing what you love, and they say, how do I know? And they say, I wrote the book. They say, What's it called? double your income, doing what you love. They go, oh my gosh, it must be true. And so 
the biggest advice I can give to the wonderful listeners of this podcast is to write a book to get branded and have that as your purpose. The purpose for the reader is to know what you know. That's fine. But the purpose for you is to get branded. And when you introduce yourself, instead of saying, hello, my name is Bill Smith. I'm a therapist. I'm a realtor. I'm a pharmacist. I'm a whatever. Instead of saying that, you say, hi, my name is Bill Smith. I'm the author of the book on chiropractics. I'm the author of the book on dental health. When you say that, instead of saying your occupation, you say the, the title of the book that you wrote, people's jaw just falls open. And they say, oh my gosh, I'd like to follow you. How can, do, do you have a webinar? Do you, do you have a, a workshop? Uh, can I buy your book? Do you have an audio book? Like within seconds, people want to buy from me. And that's the secret. I, let's say I'm at a networking function. What's your name, Raymond? What do you do? I help you double your income doing what you love. The first thing they say, wow. The second thing is they say, can I buy your book? Do you, do you have a workshop? Um, do you give classes right here in Toronto? Like, uh, how does it work? They're like, within seconds, they're buying from me. Now, I don't mean they're writing a check. I mean, they're exploring how they're gonna give me money. What do ordinary people do? The other 97%, they do small talk. Small talk, are you crazy? Small talk is the most boring, useless crapola there is. Small talk is news, weather, sports, traffic, or television. News, weather, sports, traffic, or television. If you talk about that for five minutes or an hour, you've lost them. Who cares? Like no one's going to walk to another person at a party and say, you should speak to Raymond. He really knows traffic. Or he told me that today was the warmest April 15th on record. And who cares? Like nobody cares. And so every second you spend being boring and honest to God, breaking the ice with small talk is completely boring. Nobody cares is another second you're spending, wasting your time, hoping you can make some money, but not making any money. If you're a single guy and you're hoping to meet the woman of your dreams and you're at a party and the door opens and a woman walks in, how long does it take you to decide if you're interested in talking to her? A tenth of a second. Well, you blow minutes with small talk and you've only got a tenth of a second to attract an audience. And so I say right at the beginning, what's your name? Raymond, what do you do? Have you heard of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series of books? Oh my God, sure I have. I wrote uh, Chicken Soup for the Parent Soul, hit New York Times top 10. Wow, wow, tell me about yourself suddenly they're all interested in me. Suddenly they want to know about me. And so I teach you how to brand yourself. But whether you learn from me or learn from Nikki is fine, doesn't matter to me. Just make sure you're branded. And when you're branded, you have to be careful to maintain your brand because Coca-Cola never uses the chunky capital letters of CNN. Like they don't write Coca-Cola with a capital C, capital O, capital L. No, they stick to that italicized font. They don't change the shape of their bottle. They haven't changed the shape of their bottle for a hundred years. Why? Because it's their brand and they stick to their brand. And the one time they broke their brand by coming out with new Coke, the world said to heck with you. We don't want any newfangled thing. We want Coke. And so they had to retract it and go back to classic Coke because they made a mistake. They broke their brand. Well, you, and I'm, I don't mean to put you down, but I'm sorry to say 
if you're in the 97% who aren't branded, then just ask yourself these questions. If Coke cares about the font of Coca-Cola, if every company cares about the font that they use, what font is your website in? And is it the same as the font on your business card? I'm sure it's not. Is it the same as the font on your marketing literature? I'm sure it's not. In other words, who chose the font in your marketing literature? The guy who did your brochure. Who chose the font of your website? Some other guy, some website guy. In other words, you don't seem to care. And when you send an email, you open up your email server and you just start typing. Whatever the default font is, good enough for you. What do you care? And so Robert Kiyosaki is always purple, always. He doesn't, I never say triple your income doing what you love, never. In fact, listen to this. Let's say I'm talking to a four-year-old kid in a sandbox and he says, hi, mister, what's your name? Raymond, what do you do? I say, I help you double your income doing what you love. It's a four-year-old kid for gosh sakes, but I never change it ever, ever. I do not want to be appropriate. I want to be branded. I do not want to change my line every time trying to be appropriate. I want to be branded. I never change it. Yeah, that's fantastic. If somebody works for Coca-Cola and they, are, they meet someone who's a, a total health nut, they don't say, well, I work for a company that makes a drink. No, they say, I work for Coca-Cola every time, even if the person they're talking to has no interest in Coke. That's how important branding is. And because I'm branded, people come to me. Money comes to me. Opportunities come to me. People call me all the time and say, can you be on my radio talk show? In fact, this is an example right now that I'm on this show because I'm branded, because you know me, because a million people around the world know me. That's right. That's the secret. It's yeah. not because I have a good widget to sell. It's because I'm well-branded. That's great, Raymond. Now, now, I can hear a lot of great stuff that you're giving all of our listeners, some pure gold, and uh, I love what you said about being in a networking scenario and saving everybody a lot of time by really just leading with your brand. Uh, I've got a couple of questions, and I wanted to, you know, they picked up a few as you were talking, and, and the first one is, you know, I think a lot of people get distracted by all the different things they could tell people when they meet them or put on their website. You know, if you go to most people, that 97% that you're talking about, you go to their website, there's going to be 20 different things that they could offer to you. How would you recommend some of our listeners refine that down to a core message to build their brand around? Any thoughts there? Yeah, just because you offer several different products doesn't mean that every one of them should be your lead-in product. You need to choose one thing. Robert Kiyosaki chose Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He's written 15 other books, but that's the one he leads with. Robert Kiyosaki, author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He knows that he wrote 14 other books, but he doesn't lead with that. And so he has, he has workshops called Rich Dad Workshops even though he's written other books like Cashflow Quadrant. So you choose one thing. I've written eight books, one of them a New York Times top 10 bestseller, but I don't talk about all of them. I talk about double your income doing what you love. I choose one thing. And I'll give you an example of how someone shoots themselves in the forehead by offering two things. There was a particular uh, nutritional product that I was interested in. And so I Googled it and I clicked on the first website 
and a picture on the homepage of this guy standing right in the middle of his homepage. So that's nice, it's a picture of a guy. And on one side of him was a big bottle of the nutritional supplement that I was interested in. And on the other side of him was a motorcycle. He sells nutritional products and he fixes motorcycles. Well, that's fine. It's, it's not a joke. I mean, it is funny because they seem so different. You have the opinion of a, a guy who fixes motorcycles as maybe a lower class guy who wouldn't be interested in health. It's just a, a stereotype, but it, it does seem funny. But, but the point is, I do not want to get my motorcycle fixed by a guy who flogs nutritional products. And I do not want to buy nutritional products from a guy with greasy hands. And so as soon as I saw that, I ran away from his website. Now he thinks he's so clever that he's getting two for one. He's, he's promoting two things on the same website, but he's not, he's promoting nothing. Because if someone's interested in motorcycles, they say, oh, the guy must be some fruity nutcase if he sells nutritional products. And I'm a guy who wanted nutritional products, but not from a guy with greasy hands. And so I bought nothing there. He needs a website that offers the nutritional product and he needs another website that offers motorcycle fixing. And another example is realtors. Every realtor on the planet makes the same mistake. Every single one, it's such an embarrassment. They'll hand you a business card that says, I'll help you buy and sell. Well, that's ridiculous, that doesn't make any sense. If I have a home, it's my only home. And if I wanna sell it, I wanna get a fast closing at a high price. But if I'm a buyer, I'll buy any home that fits my criteria and I want a low price and a long closing. There's no such thing as buyer or seller. It's two unrelated people, two unrelated needs. They're, they're completely different. So if I were an ordinary realtor, actually I'm a realtor, but I do it differently. If I was an ordinary realtor looking for retail business, I would have buyer realtor business cards in my right pocket and seller realtor business cards in my left pocket. And if someone comes up to me and says, I hear you're a realtor, I'm thinking of selling my home. I'd reach into my right pocket and I'd give them a business card. <laughs> that's funny. Because I love it. You know, that's actually a really powerful point you just made, Raymond. Far too many thought leaders go out there and try to be all things to all people. One of my favorite examples of this mistake is when someone says they're a life coach. Well, what the heck is a life coach? Is it someone who helps you with your relationships? Is it someone who helps you with your health and nutrition? Is it someone who helps you with your business? Is it someone who helps you to raise your kids better? I mean, it's nothing to nobody. They're just trying to be a catch-all to have anybody who comes their way, you know, potentially be interested in doing business with them versus having a very specific, honed, niched, powerful message that solves a problem for a particular group of people. And that's the way you just said what you said around realtors. Exactly, exactly. And your, your point is dead on. If you want to help single women find the guy of their dreams, that's different from helping single men find the women of their dreams. It's a completely different message. Absolutely 100%. different message. It's uh, a, a lot, uh, you know, a lot of what we do and we're working on positioning our company online. The, the thing I'm always asking myself is number one, do I have the right message for the right audience and with the right offer? And, and you know, that takes work, Raymond. Like having two cards 
in uh, in your in your genes takes work. You have to think about that. You have to be prepared. And I think that's a, a lot of people want it to be easy. Well, easy doesn't necessarily translate into being in that top three percent. Let me give you a piece of advice. And the reason I'm doing it is because when I coach people, I get I see the same mistake all the time. So this is one that it's likely that every single one of your clients is making. And that's this. People do not buy what they need. People buy what they want. So you take a badly obese person and you say, you need a fitness class. You need a diet program. But what they want is an ice cream. So on the website, <laughs> That's true. That's they, so true. They leave, they leave your office. They don't buy the fitness program. They don't buy the diet. And on the way home, they buy an ice cream. So you have to look very carefully at what people want versus what they need. And you might say, but Raymond, if they want an ice cream and they need a diet program, I don't want to be dishonest and offer them ice cream. So here's the answer. And it's really brilliant. Listen carefully. It will change your entire marketing perspective. Sell them what they want. Deliver what they need. Sell them what they want. They want an ice cream cone, sell them an ice cream cone and deliver what they need. So if I were in the weight loss business and I was in a hot climate and everybody and there's lots of ice cream parlors around, I would call it the ice cream diet. And I would have more sales than any any other diet program in the whole country because I would say in my diet, in my program, you're allowed to have one ice cream a week, as big as you want, with as many toppings as you want. The rest of the time, just follow my rules. And people would flock to me because they want ice cream. And another, another way to see it that is a little less silly is if I'm teaching people how to get rich, then what they want is the finish line. They just want the finish line. They just want to be rich. They just want to have the trophy wife and the gorgeous Mercedes and the, the 20 bedroom house. And so I say, you want the 20 bedroom house? I'll give you the 20 bedroom house. Take my course called the 20 bedroom house course. And people, they join my program. And then what I teach them is what they need. I say, here's what you need. You have to improve your credit rating. You have to find a great realtor, blah, 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 blah. In other words, I sell what they want and I deliver what they need. And so at the end of my real estate courses, People always came up to me and said, Raymond, I bought this because I wanted to buy real estate, but, but you, what you taught us was like life. It's amazing. Yeah, because you can't just keep your current fears and inhibitions and suddenly buy lots of real estate if you're afraid to even make an offer. And so I sold them real estate wealth and I delivered the life skills they need in order to get it. But if I said I'm going to deliver life skills, nobody would sign up. No, that's very powerful and very, very, very true. It's frankly one of the things that Michael and I have been uh, working on is how to really get clearer and clearer on what what our target market, what our clients, what our tribe wants rather than talking about what they need because that's a mistake I've made repeatedly in my career. And when, and when, when I focused on what they want, sales have happened like manna dropping from the sky. But listen- yes. 
What we got to do right now is move to the close of this inaugural edition of the podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership. And the way we'd like to close it, Raymond, is that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So I'm going to imitate you and ask you to give us your three expert action steps in uh, kind of a bullet point fashion so that, uh, you know, our tribe, our listeners can use this to become more effective thought leaders. Okay. So number one, I've created the world's most powerful goal attainment program. And I charge several thousand dollars for it, but I've written a book on it. And I'm offering your subscribers that they can download my book for free. Don't go to Amazon and pay for it. Go to my website, Aaron.com. That's A-A-R-O-N, A-A-R-O-N.com. And you'll see my book, Double Your Income, Doing What You Love. And it's a program that Nikki himself has been, has been in for years and loved it. And there's no charge. Download my book and you'll understand how to set and achieve goals miraculously. I even call it automagically. So that's your first item of homework. And that's a bit self-serving because I capture your name and your email address. And so I'm just being totally transparent. Number two work on your brand. Maybe you can do it by yourself. Maybe you need an outside coach. Maybe Michael and Nikki do it with you, but you must work on your brand and create a brand. And then number three, you must obey your brand. You must obey your brand. You have to have a font. You have to have a color. You have to have a shape, a smell, whatever. You don't have to have all of them. The bottle of Coke has a shape. Kiyosaki has a color. You just have to obey it. For, let me tell you something funny. Should Heinz Ketchup manufacture automobiles? No, no, my God, no. And if they happen to manufacture automobiles, what color should they be? Everybody yells out red. Why? Because branding made you say that. Branding made you say that. And the reason that it's funny is because the brand of Heinz Ketchup is that it comes out slowly. That's what people love about it. It comes out slowly. Well, that violates a car. Nobody wants a slow car. And so the brand of Heinz Ketchup and the brand of an automobile are so different that they, they can't work together. And so what products do you have that don't work together? What brand do you have or not have that you wish you could have? And how are you conflicting your own brand? How are you fighting your own brand by having lots of different fonts and lots of different colors and lots of different slogans? So number one, download my book, No Charge, Aaron.com. Number two, get a brand. Work with Nikki and Michael, work with an outside consultant, whoever you want to work with. And number three, obey your brand all the time. Don't change it. Awesome. Thank you, Raymond. Those are amazing expert action steps. And I want to tell you, our listeners, Take advantage of Raymond's offer for the free download of the book. I have been mentored by him for years. He's been a big part of my success. Download the book. Go to his live events. You'll be glad that you did. And this was an incredible first inaugural podcast. And who did we have as our guest but Raymond Aaron, one of the greats. Thank you so much, Raymond, for being here. And we're looking forward to having you back on our podcast at some point in the future. Have an awesome day. My pleasure. And always remember that success is a matter of choice, not chance. You better believe it. Thank you, Raymond. It was awesome having you, and we look forward to having you down the track. 
My pleasure. I'll be on your show whenever you wish. Thank you, Raymond. Thanks again, Raymond. You've been listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. For more information and to download the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit us at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Thank you for listening.